Please do join me once again in taking out your Bibles and turning to Psalm 57. Um, Psalm 57. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer and ask for His help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we have just sung, you are a refuge for our weary soul. And Father, whether or not our souls are weary right now, others that we know and love may be weary. And so we pray, God, that as we spend time in your word, that your spirit would reveal to us more and more who you are and how you care for your people. Well, Father, open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts that we would know what we are to believe about you and also what you ask of your people. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was on May the 1st when in our series, Peace Under Pressure, we focused our attention on Philippians 4, 4, and there was the title, Rejoice Always, Mission Impossible? Question mark. Remember, Paul says to the church, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. And we in spending time in, in that section of Philippians, we, we saw that rejoicing always is possible, is practical, and is a priority. It's possible because we saw it's not determined by circumstances around us, but rather by who is at work in us. We saw that it's practical because rejoicing always takes our eyes off of our circumstances and ourselves and puts them on Jesus. And we saw that rejoicing always is a priority because we were made to rejoice. It's our fundamental purpose. We were made to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Here in Psalm 57, we see that David is able to rejoice. Uh, David chooses to rejoice um, during what looks to be an impossible situation. Um, and we will see that he, he's able to rejoice not due to his circumstances, but rather due to his relationship with God. Join me now as I read Psalm 57. I'll begin with the, the title or the inscription. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. 
the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. But they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 57 is a psalm of lament, and it's a psalm of of confidence. And we see a movement, as we see in many psalms, from prayer to praise. And remember, as we read this psalm, as we listen to this psalm um, with faith, that not only will we be informed, but by God's ongoing work through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we will be transformed. We will not leave today the same as when we came. As we've been saying, the Psalms are a great help in both prayer and praise. They give us words for prayer and for praise. They give us a language to express ourselves to God, and we see that here in Psalm 57. Psalm 57 can be in terms of a simple outline, um, divided into two parts. Part 1, verses 1 through 5, and part 2, verses 6 through 11. The first part is a confident request for mercy. There's cheerful confidence amid danger. And in the second part, there's a confident expectation of rescue, of victory. And there's a pivot pattern in this psalm, and if you look at Psalm verse 5 in particular, it's the hinge. It's the hinge on which the psalm turns. And, and look at me as I walk our way very quickly through the psalm and see how it pivots and is kind of um, mirror imaged. He starts off, I pray, I pray confidently, though my foes are fierce. And then there's that refrain, verse 5, the pivot. Yet my foes are doomed. I pray steadfastly. I praise. Again, a movement from prayer to praise. Now, where is David? Where is David? Um, We don't know the exact historical situation. It could be something similar to what's in 1 Samuel 22 or 24. The title, of course, has him in a cave, the cave of Adullam, we believe. Um, He's been running from Saul. He's He's been anointed king. He's not the king yet. Where is he? Look at verse 1. At the end of verse 1, he's in the storms of destruction. I think the weather forecast later today is for thunderstorms. And the National Weather Service does a pretty good job forecasting. But here there's no forecast. He's in the midst of storms of destruction. In other words, he's facing trouble from men, from man. Where is David? He's facing trouble. He's been on the run. We've seen that in the past few psalms. 
Uh, people are betraying him, whether it's an individual or kind of his whole tribe. He's feigned madness. He, he's, he's seeking refuge in the Lord. He's in distress. He's under duress. He's facing trouble from men. This is a song. This is a song from a dark, trapped, cramped place. Could be literally a cave. How about your life right now? Is it wide open? Is the sky blue? The breeze refreshing? Or would you describe your life right now as being at a dark place, a trapped place, a cramped place? Look at verse 4. How does David describe his soul, his very being? My soul is in the midst of lions. Now, I know there are lion tamers out there, right? And somebody, right, gets paid at the zoo to work with lions, right? But generally, this expression, you're in trouble, you're in difficulty, danger. You're in the midst of lions, and of course, he's describing um, this, this trouble that he's facing from man. So where is David? Well, he's probably in a cave, but he's in trouble. He's facing trouble from man. But where also is David? You know, sometimes there's more than one answer to a question, right? Right? It's... it's, it's There's more than one answer. Where is David? He is in the Lord. He's taking refuge in the Lord. Look again at verse 1. For in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. So where is David? Facing trouble from men. Where is David? He is taking refuge in the Lord. You know, we, we um, often refer to the already and the not yet and the tension that we live, right? It's a good way to help understand the Christian life. But here, there's, there's, um, there's the reality of being in trouble, in danger, in distress, under duress, and yet also finding refuge in the Lord, at peace, content, settled in the Lord, simultaneously in trouble, also taken, taking refuge in the Lord. And, and where, in the midst of this, in both locations, what's David doing? He, he's praying and rejoicing. Now, where do we see him praying? Look at verses 1 through 2, um, this opening prayer. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. Look at the New Testament. Look at the people that come to Jesus. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. As a theologian once told me, if there's a better prayer than have mercy on me, pray it. And Rob, I appreciated your 
your encouragement and your prayer that, that the Lord has to be merciful to us. We are desperately dependent on his mercy. He's requesting God to show kindness, to, to give relief. Look at verse 2. I cry out to God most high. Be merciful to me. Oh God, be merciful to me. There's that repetition. Interestingly, it's the same word as begins Psalm 56. And most translators translate Psalm 56, one, be gracious to me. Here in Psalm 57, it's be merciful to me. Grace and mercy, kind of like what we find, what, at the throne of grace. So what's he doing? He's praying. But notice the refrain, verses 5 and 11. Twice, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. He doesn't say that once. He says it twice. What's he doing? He's praying. But he's also rejoicing. He's rejoicing. Now, where do you see him rejoicing? Look with me, beginning in the second half of verse 7. I will sing and make melody. Keep in mind earlier, he was what? In the storms of destruction. He felt as if he was in the midst of lions. And look at this. I will sing and make melody. I'm rejoicing. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. Look at the image. It's dark. It's at night. David is rejoicing in the night. To be sure, Scripture says what? Sorrow is in the night and joy comes in the morning. David is saying, I'm going to awaken the dawn. I'm going to bring about the dawn I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Here's David, whether he's alone or whether this is the time that the 400 ragtag rabble rousers have gathered around him, we don't know. But he's not just concerned about himself. He's not just rejoicing for himself. He, he, he knows that he is called to, to proclaim the goodness, the greatness of God, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God to the nations. He's, he sees himself as the continuation of the promise to Abraham who was blessed in order to be a blessing to the nations. What's he doing? He's praying and he's rejoicing. Now how on earth how on earth is he able to rejoice? How's that possible? How does he make the choice not to continue with complaint? And there is a proper time and place to complain to the Lord. But he's making the choice to no longer complain, but rather to begin to rejoice. Um, I believe Psalm 57 offers a few clues that, we are, that are re as relevant today as they were when they were originally written. For whatever was written in former days, Paul writes to the church in Rome, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
And so as we open up and explore Psalm 57, I believe we'll see the call to remember his purpose, to remember God's purpose. Look at verse 2 again. I cry out to God, most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. I must admit that it was a few commentators that got my attention to this um, particular expression because, you know, reading the Bible, studying the Bible is a community project. None of us are going to see everything. That's what's so good about corporate worship. It's, it's all of our voices and all of our hearts together. And I'm thankful for some folks that drew my attention to this expression, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. David knows that he's the anointed king. He knows that he's been called by God. He knows, and we don't know exactly when this was written, so it could be some reflections from David later describing a situation earlier. So he he knows that God will bring a savior to Israel and all of the peoples through his line, through his kingly line. He he not only remembers God's purpose, but he's confident that God will fulfill his purpose. He he will complete his purpose. He, He will finish what he's begun. You know, with these words, it's as if David, um, in the midst of the, the, the storm, in the midst of the storm of destruction, he, he's taking into account the big picture. He, he gets off the micromanagement of the situation. He, he gets out of the weeds. He, 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 he steps back and he looks around and he looks up. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. But... Something bigger is going on than my particular stress and distress right now. He's taking into account the big picture. You know, I think this draws our attention to how important it is to remind ourselves what we already know. Remind ourselves what we already know. Uh, David, in that brief mark, I'm crying out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. David is reminding himself that God has a purpose and a plan for his life. And I remember years ago in seminary in a chapel service, a visiting pastor who was giving the chapel message said something I'll never forget. He says, a sermon is reminding people what they already know. He said, when it comes down to it, Since a sermon is taking place in a church, and yes, there may be unbelievers present, and may there always be unbelievers present in the church, but the focus is on what? Proclaiming the word of God to people who know God, right? And yes, we should walk away with more information about who God is and how great he is and what he does for us. Yes, more and new information, yes, but I hope that what we're also, what's also happening is we're being reminded of what we already know. Because do you forget things like I forget things? Yes. Do you need to be reminded? Absolutely. 
reminding ourselves as to what God's purpose for us is. I mean, you can fill in the blank. What's God's purpose for my life? To glorify Him, to enjoy Him forever, to declare His glory, to to, um, leave a life of sin and debauchery and to live a life of trustful, humble obedience. Fill in the blank of what your purpose is. And remember that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. David knows that God has begun a good work in him. He's trusting that God will carry it on to completion. Remember God's purpose. You know, Peter says at the end of 2 Peter 3, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember your purpose to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So how does David make the choice to rejoice? One way, one avenue is he remembers God's purpose for his life. But another reason is that David relies on the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. David relies on the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. We heard it in the Old Testament reading. Did we know it before today? Yes. Do we need to hear it again today? Yes. How does God describe himself? Among other things, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That love is, is the Hebrew word hesed. Many of you have heard of it. It's, it's covenant love. It's, it's steadfast love. It's, it's a love that's not fickle. That, that's here one day and gone the next. It's, it's a faithful love. It's a covenant love. It's, it's love born out of promise. Love, as it were, born out of love. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Covenant faithfulness. God being true to His promises. What an expression. David uses it twice. The first use we see in verse 3. God will send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. There's almost a personification of it. It's not just a characteristic of God. It's something that God is going to give to David, bring to David, send to David. That this steadfast love and faithfulness will be sent out. David is confident. Did you notice? Confident that God will save him. He's confident that part of that rescue will be that God sends out his steadfast love and faithfulness. But there's a second use. A second use, and we see that in verses 9 and 10. Indeed, how, how is David able to sing? How is he able to awaken the dawn? How is he able to give thanks? How is he able to sing praises? Look at that connecting word at the beginning of verse 10. For. 
Your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. How is he able to do that? The reason David's able to give thanks and praise is because of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. It's not only in anticipation of it being sent out, but David is also saying it's already here. It's already arrived. This is why I can sing and make melody. This is why I can awake the dawn. Why I can give thanks. Why I can sing praises. Not only now alone or maybe in the company of a few, but eventually to the nations. So, if you were to ask, be asked the question, what are you relying on? Would an answer be, I'm relying on the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Here David is in the storms, in the cave, in the dark, in the danger, in the distress. He's not relying on himself. I mean, It's amazing, David is multidimensional. You see him brave, you see him sinning, you see him a king, a warrior, you see him in utter, absolute dependence upon the Lord. You see a man after the Lord's own heart who's able to, when confronted with his own sin, he's able to repent. He's dependent upon the Lord. Amid trouble, David remembers God's purpose for him. He rests and relies on God's steadfast love for and faithfulness to him. Amid trouble, David prays and continues to pray. And in doing so, he's making the choice to rejoice. And so, you see, thirdly, he repeats his prayer. There's a refrain, verses 5 and 11, the exact same words. Notice how the prayer is kind of comprehensive, above the heavens, over all the earth. In other words, God is so great that not even the heavens can hold him. God is so great that there is not a place on earth that he is not over. He's requesting that people would acknowledge God's greatness and remember what we did in the Lord's prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Years ago when I was studying the Lord's prayer they asked what the first petition of the Lord's prayer was and it was not hallowed be thy name because I said wait a minute God's name is hallowed. It is holy. Yes but the prayer is that it would be more so. That more and more people would hallow and honor and revere God, God's name. So that's what he's requesting. It's a request that God display his glory, the visible manifestation of his presence and his power from heaven here on earth. 
You see, deeper than disaster, deeper than danger, deeper than distress is David's desire for God to be glorified. That first refrain, verse 5, it's as if David's faith is, is defiant in the midst of the assaults of the enemy. And there in this second prayer, the second refrain, verse 11, there's a not so much a defiant faith as a grateful love. See, it's repeated. This prayer is not a one and done, and as I've learned lately, there's that new expression. It's not a one-off. Rather, it's repeated. I think it's helping us see that David doesn't give up. He, he perseveres. Look with me at verse 7. Between those two references to God's steadfast love and faithfulness, David says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. Why is his heart steadfast? Because God's love is steadfast and David knows it. Why is David's heart steadfast? Because God is faithful and David knows it. This repeated prayer, this steadfast prayer, this persevering prayer, don't give up, but stay the course. How about you? Are you like me? You pray once, and that's it. You figure God is sovereign. On the one hand, he didn't need to hear my prayer in the first place, but he's heard it once. Isn't that good enough? In one sense, yes. But Jesus did tell a few stories and shared a few illustrations about persevering prayer, didn't he? About a widow who wanted justice and didn't quit knocking Is there any repetition in your prayer life? David here is showing us repetition in prayer. In the midst of a crisis, there's a cry to God and there's confidence in him. David is faced with a difficult choice and anybody in a crisis is faced with a difficult choice to choose to let the crisis overwhelm them or to choose in the midst of the crisis to have confidence in God. You know, Job, right, knew if he lived or died Blessed be the name of the Lord. Paul knew that whether he lived or died, he wanted to be with the Lord. David is faced with a difficult choice. He chooses to rejoice. As we wind down here on Psalm 57, I think... The psalm asks us a couple of questions. 
The first is, where was David? Or where are you right now? In a cave on the run from men? Are you in God, in the Lord, in the shadow of his wings? Where are you right now? How would you describe your location? You know, remember earlier, who are you? You've got to choose to say something, right? When somebody says, where are you? Choose. What do you choose to say? And the other question is this. How on earth was David able to rejoice? How on earth are any of us able to rejoice? Well, David remembered God's purpose. He he relied on God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And David didn't, he, he persevered in prayer. So are you right now remembering God's purpose? Are you able to step back, look around and look up and remember that this present crisis that you're in is not all there is. Are you relying on yourself, your talent, your intuition, your skill to get out of the crisis, out of the difficulty? Or are you relying on something that is sure and steady and certain, the steadfast love of God? Are you praying And are you praying and not giving up? You see, I believe the answer to all of these two questions could be seen by remembering that heaven came to earth. How on earth can we rejoice heaven came to earth. Look at verse 3. He will send from heaven and save me. God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, David was able to rejoice because he was confident that God would send from heaven. And God did that fully and finally by sending out the greatest expression of his steadfast love and faithfulness in the flesh, David's greater son, Jesus of Nazareth. We heard it earlier, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Indeed, as John writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Let your glory be over all the earth. That prayer of David's was answered in the arrival, in the incarnation of Jesus. And Jesus didn't save by bringing in the cavalry, but rather Jesus saved by going to Calvary, to the cross, 
To this day, I still get confused between cavalry and Calvary. To this day, I still have to look it up. Cavalry, the army, the army on horses, now armor, the strength of man. Calvary, Golgotha, the cross, the wisdom of God. I think if many of us wouldn't be confused by those two expressions, uh, we'd be in a much better place. I would be in a much better place. Because David may have been tempted for the Calvary to come. You know, the armed soldiers to protect him and rescue him. But no, no. He didn't fall into that temptation. He, he looked to the Lord's steadfast love and faithfulness. He, he didn't know it, but he was looking to Jesus. He was looking to the cross. Finally, you see the prayer opens with a cry, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to you. Verse 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. I want us to end by thinking about two loud cries. In Luke 23, we read this. A third time, Pilate said to the crowd, Why? Speaking of Jesus, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. Loud cries, in one sense, led to the crucifixion of Jesus. But remember what the author to the Hebrews says in chapter 5, verse 7, about Jesus. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Sounds kind of like David. With loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. My friends, here in Psalm 57, in the context of all of Scripture, we see that God answers the prayer of David. God delights to glorify himself in the deliverance of his people. May God continue to be glorified through the salvation of his people here at Grace and Peace and around the world. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did hear the loud cries of your son on the cross. And you delivered him from death through the resurrection. Father, we acknowledge that we were so wicked and sinful that Jesus had to die for us. And yet we also acknowledge that we are so loved and treasured that Jesus was glad to die for us.
Indeed, Father, those who believe and trust in Jesus are the joy that was set before him as he headed to the cross. We thank you that Jesus took the curse so that we could receive your blessing. Oh, Father, what an amazing exchange as Jesus is both our substitute and the sacrifice. Oh, Father, may your word, may Psalm 57 that we have just heard, may it take up residence in our life and change us more and more into the image of Jesus, our suffering Savior and our risen and reigning Lord, for your glory and for the good of your people now and forever. Amen.